This is the weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, your hosts, Drew Dawkin and Grant Collins, will have an in-depth conversation about what's happening in the markets. We're recording today on February 24th, the end of the market on Monday, and it was a woozy today. Uh, the Dow dropped over 1,031 points, or negative 3.56%. It ended the day at 27,960.80. The S&P dropped 111.86 points, or 3.35%, ending the day at 3225.89. Uh, and this was the worst day the S&P has had in two years. We saw Alphabet, Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, and um, Alphabet collectively lose more than $250 billion in valuation um, as part of the large market plunge. We saw the VIX was up 7.96 points, or 46.55%, ending the day at 25.03. U.S. Treasuries dropped to, um, almost 11 basis points, ending the day at 1.37%, largely due to the fact that Iran and Italy have both seen an increase in the coronavirus in terms of deaths. Uh, numbers have gone down in China, but they've seemed to explode everywhere else. Coronavirus is, is now here. We, as you said, Italy is now raising fears about the spread outside of Asia. We saw that maybe it's coming to a slow in China, but we're seeing an outbreak elsewhere. So I think that that really stirred the global economy. We're seeing a UBS chairman come out and say that he thinks markets are underestimating the risk. But I think today we, we saw that correction. White House, is beginning to get, White House is beginning to ask for emergency funds. One big question I have is what's going to happen with the Tokyo Olympics? We, the torch relay is supposed to begin next month. And I, I think with this continued crisis around the world, uh, especially in Asia, will we, uh, what will happen with the Olympics? Because that will be a big uh, economic revenue source for, for Japan. We've already seen Goldman Sachs' large GDP forecast for this quarter to 1.2%, down from 1.4%. A lot of the analysis is really getting to some countries who are being exposed have um, critically underfunded healthcare infrastructure to deal with such pandemics. Uh, WHO isn't officially calling it a pandemic yet, but you know it's more of a, they say, does it really matter at this point? It's not going to prevent any loss of life, but there is an important psychological threshold when and if they eventually call it a pandemic. Yeah, it's spreading faster than the than the flu, and it's more deadly than the flu. So I think that that's pretty scary as we're seeing what happened with the cruise ship and as well as what we're now we're seeing in South Korea with a state of emergency there as well. Yeah, this time of year, there's a lot of ski vacationers in the Alps especially. So you saw Austria cut off a train for several hours while they were testing people actively for coronaviruses. Uh, Austria hasn't had an outbreak yet, but when you're looking at porous borders, especially you're all in the same, you know, trading area, uh, people are traveling all the time, especially, you know, skiers and vacationers. Movement of free borders borders along the Borders through all those countries, right? Like as easy as crossing the state line. So those things have to be addressed. Um, you know, and what's good for trade and what's good for movement and what's good for mobility can oftentimes uh, be a hindrance when it comes to what comes to spreading something like a disease. I mean, so this kind of dampens, you know, we came into this with uh, great news on small business sentiment. <laughs> Seems gonna be, it's going to be a little bit dated, I think. <laughs> but I mean, you know, the pandemic aside, let's, let's, let's look, the fundamentals show that 
small business sentiment did rise. Um, it's gone up two points in this first quarter from CNBC's Survey Monkeys uh, survey. And that's largely due to, you know, decreased trade tensions, whether we're looking at the China phase one deal or the signing of the U.S. CMA. And that number closed at all time highs. Um, it's important to look that the increase in conferences confidence is largely due to lessened pessimism as opposed to increased optimism, meaning a lot of people moving to from thinking that the trade's going to have a negative effect on their business to saying that the effect's going to be muted as opposed to people saying that it's going to be a net positive. But that, that's the key thing about this is there's less pessimist uh, small business owners moving more towards the middle, more neutral. And if they were optimistic, we would have seen that it moved even further. I think that after today and the last couple of weeks of, of coronavirus, I think that they would probably still remain a little more pessimistic as growth. I think that we're, we're seeing how the the global supply chain is now starting to feel it, and it's going to impact small businesses um, even after the, the trade war has settled. Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, we see 56% of business owners are saying conditions are good. I mean, only 7% have a contrarian view on this. 49% of people say business uh, businesses say that a recession is likely in the last year. That was down from 53 uh, this time last year. Uh, kind of as we've been alluding to, we'll see what happens next month. But the big thing is to take away when we're looking at the labor market, 19% of respondents said that finding qualified workers is the biggest challenge, uh, which just shows how low unemployment is, you know, if that's your biggest challenge is to find qualified workers to to fill a lot of these positions. We're also seeing from the survey, you know, some analysis, meaning that wages are going to grow a blit slowly or they're going to remain flat because 70% of respondents said if that one of their employees were to quit today, um, they'd expect to pay the replacements the same. So, you know, coming out of, you know, small business owners themselves, they don't see they're going to you know really increase their payrolls anytime soon. That's really, really interesting there. I, if we think about how wages should increase, we're, we're not seeing that. And we've been talking about that last couple episodes is with unemployment and such a strong labor market, we would think with an increased competition, we would then therefore people be would be paying more for, for talent. Uh, and then 70% is a pretty large percentage and only 14% said they would pay more. So uh, pre- pretty staggering. Yeah. When we look to, you know, the broader oil equity markets when getting into commodities, I mean, we had the Dallas Fed state last week that, you know, the slump in oil prices and the cutback in production growth could lead to a 10 to 15 percent decrease in capital spending. Um, it's important to note, you know, the Dallas Fed is located in the Permian Basin, um, which is in Dallas's, you know, overall economic zone. Uh, you know, firms have already announced restructuring. They're already announcing uh, layoffs. So 2020, you know, could be a year with a lot of consolidation and cost cutting, um, you know, increased pressure on China is no doubt not going to help matters a lot. I mean, China accounts for 14 percent of total global consumption, um, and they accounted for 57 percent of consumption growth in 2019. We'll, we'll definitely, I think, see a, a demand in oil continue to drop. 
But lower lower oil oil prices overall for United States, broadly speaking, is is good because then people are going to spend less at the pump and have more disposable income, which which could boost consumer spending. Uh, overall, I I thought it was interesting how he said by 2040 that we'll see that renewable energy, so whether that's solar, hydro, wind, that that will uh, account for about a third of what the oil consumption is today. Uh, so I thought that that was an interesting point as well, that he sees a big push for renewables moving forward. Yeah, I mean, the IEA, you know, is expecting renewables like solar, hydropower, wind, geothermal to grow, you know, 125% over the next 20 years. Uh, you mentioned that it, it is good for the consumer, certainly, that we have lower oil prices, but I think we have to adjust to a new mindset that we are no longer a net importer of exporter. We are now a uh, net no, we're no longer that. We're no longer. We 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 said three now. times fast. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're pushing the stuff out. So now that we're a net exporter, I think the changes to GDP are going to be increasingly muted when there's lower oil prices. As before, it's like, oh, this is just going to be a huge boom to everyone's pocketbooks. Well, for energy services company today, if we see a decrease or decline in oil production, that will that will impact uh, companies, especially in the Dallas area, if we think about it. And as you mentioned, China is such a big importer of that, that that will uh, that will definitely impact those companies moving forward. One, one company that's gotten some recent news, we, we, we don't talk about Boeing um, all that much, but Last Wednesday, I mean, Washington state lawmakers, you know, are moving to remove uh, large tax breaks in order to avoid European tariffs. Uh, and that's going to affect Boeing and several other aerospace firms as well. This really comes from a tit-to-tat subsidies and tariffs and, and, and a trade trade war really between uh, Boeing and Airbus that's kind of gone, you know, between the United States and European, European countries respectively, that's really gone back to 2004. Uh, Boeing actually issued a statement saying it supports this legislation uh, to reverse these tax breaks, uh, but there's there's going to be you know. Well, Boeing's doing all it can to to increase its public image after the last couple last couple of years. Yeah, it's had a run of it, uh, but so I mean, there's going to be a lot of things to still work out. I think between because you know we're set to increase tariffs, um, you know. We got approval from the WTO, and it looks like— Well, since last year, we've been increasing our tariffs on European goods, so I think that's going to continue to stay. And now I, I anticipate that the World Trade Organization will uh, rule in Airbus's favor. It seems like it's almost a sure thing, and then, therefore, I believe that we're going to see a, an increase in tariffs there, even if we do uh, have this reverse of the tax moving forward. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's you know, airlines airlines are one of these hyper sensitive issues where you know they're representing huge huge source of national image. Uh, never mind, you know, source of you know economic power. So so these tariffs, you know, have continued and and uh, most likely will. I mean, the WTOs kind of faulted both sides, and until something gets amended, um, you know, I think tensions will only increase. Last week, we saw the Fed release minutes on Wednesday uh, from its January 28th to 29th meeting uh, when it announced it was holding rates steady. Uh, They mentioned improved global conditions, but as well as fears about the coronavirus. Uh, Seeing what their minutes are, you know, the next week will be fascinating. But, um, I mean, the market's pricing in a couple of cuts. They seem to indicate that they were good, you know, steady with the time being, but, you know, this is this is all 
yesterday's news. We'll see how they act accordingly. Just a holding pattern, it seemed like. It seemed they were also commenting how a lot of the effects from last year, once they get all the data to see what they're going to do moving forward. They, they did one, one thing they did mention uh, is their inflation target of 2%. They really want to try and increase to, to meet that. Uh, we'll, we'll see if that happens. I, I Maybe. Also, another big thing that we talked about in September is the repo rate operations. And so the Fed has been watching that very carefully to make sure those markets are running smoothly and bank its reserves stored at the Feds. Uh, so everyone's comfortable with that. They said so far it's been uh, running smoothly since the hiccups we saw in Q3, Q4. And so they're, they're hopefully starting to unwind their activity in the, in the repo operations and short-term T-bills down by April. So we continue to watch that. Yeah, the balance sheets look good. Um, they're $421 billion higher than they were in September before these repo issues arose. Uh, so that means that bank reserves are now sitting at $1.66 trillion. Now, Jerome Powell cited you know, $1.5 trillion as being adequate, but reserves will probably drop back down to that area around tax season, and then they'll probably stabilize uh, from, them, from then on. Uh, so, I mean, in light of everything and the volatility, I mean, J.P. Morgan really came out and their trading guru, uh, Marco Kalanovic, uh, stated that, you know, there's really become a bubble in defensive and tech stocks uh, and that might lead, you know, might lead to kind of a collapse on that end. So, you know, J.P. or, you know, at least in his capacity, Marco called out uh, moving, you know, to cyclical assets like value stocks, commodity stocks and emerging markets. But I think defensive stocks, uh, they're not tied to economic growth. But if we think about utilities, healthcare, and consumer staples, when there is an outbreak, you would you would think that investors would move towards them. I, I we'll, we'll see if a bubble is there. But usually utilities, healthcare, and consumer staples, people are going to buy their toothpaste and pay their healthcare, even if there is a, and if there is a coronavirus, people are definitely going to be paying definitely their, need their, 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 their healthcare for sure. Uh, but uh but we've seen hedge funds move to a lot of it. So if we're seeing a lot of large monies in there, there could be a, a slight bubble. They were He referenced the tech bubble in uh, 1999 and 2000 that it's similar to the valuations then as there is today. So definitely be have to watch to watch that moving forward. Yeah, his, his, act, his, act statement, his exact statement last Wednesday was, you know, bonds, momentum stocks, and low volatility stocks rallied. This is pushing the valuation spread between defense and cyclical stocks to a level – 2x worse than during the peak of the late 90s tech bubble. Um, the bubble we're describing is expressed in equity factors. We caution investors that this bubble will likely collapse, i.e. this time is not different. Um, you know, but, you, I mean, it's really, it's really really a waiting game, you know, as, as you mentioned. When we think about the 10-year uh, trajectory of, you know, U.S. equity markets, I think overall it's going to be difficult for the stock market to equal its you know historical return of uh, 6.9% annualized above inflation, uh, and it's definitely going to be even harder for <laughs> for the, the last S&P. decade. <laughs> yeah, the last decade at 11.5% annualized total real return. So I mean, there's a lot of factors for this, but um, you know, in order to outpace growth, I mean, you gotta uh, you, you know you gotta expand profit margins. We'll need a higher PE, and we'll need uh, net buybacks. Well, if we if we look at where U.S. projected growth GDP growth is, it's right around 1.7 annualized through 2030, and so usually we see that the stock market grows maybe a little bit faster than the overall market, but usually they go hand in hand, one for one, and so 
it, you could be a little optimistic, but uh, usually economic projections are a little too rosy. So that 1.7 may actually be a, a higher outlook. And then also we're seeing publicly traded grow slower and slower uh, as they get older and more mature. So the, the big things to look at will be, are they able to expand profit margins? Are the PE ratios expanded? But if we think about where we are today, those are both higher than average. So therefore, uh, can they really continue to increase those in, into the next decade? And, and I, don't, I think you're right. I think we're going to have a, a hard time replicating that growth or if any growth at all. Yeah, that's the big thing to keep in mind, right? The point you're talking about is that if we're growing at 1.7% annualized, you're encompassing a wide breadth of small companies that are private sector and are growing much faster than, you know, large, large publicly traded firms. Right. Exactly. I think right now is a good time to transition to gold. Um, you know, what we saw is that gold's touched the highest levels it has in, you know, seven years. It hit over uh, 1,600 an ounce. Ultimately, what we're looking at is, you know, bespoke, which is in the investment group, stated that, you know, anything above 1,600 represents a key psychological level. And so that's definitely what we're seeing right now as people are wary of what's going on in the equities and bonds. We saw gold go to 1621 per ounce. Uh, that's the highest level since February 2013. I think we're going to continue to see investors uh, move to gold as a safe haven as it's going to continue to appreciate. We've seen UBS analysts come out and say that they think UBS could could top 1650 in the coming weeks. And we've seen Citi be even more bullish at 1700 per ounce. So we'll continue to see as people move to towards a safe haven. And I think gold will be that. Yeah, one of the interesting components of this huge surge in gold is that traditionally, you know, when a dollar's strong, um, you know, the price of gold isn't. But right now we're seeing, you know, both a strong dollar and an increased uh, price in gold, um, just ultimately as it is, it is, you know, a steadfast hedge against volatility. Well, let's get into the old story of Japan. Uh, we've talked a lot about, you know, it really is mirrors what developed countries should be looking at um, coming in the future because it's you know very advanced, but at the same time it you know it's got large pensions, but at the same time um, it's got an older population, right? Since the '90s, you've really seen Japan. You know what was once a great success story has had some definitely economic troubles. Uh, recently, the government raised their consumption tax from eight percent to ten percent uh, on October first. And in the last quarter of, you know, 2019, you saw the economy shrink at an annual pace of 6.3%. Uh, I mean, right now, it's an odd time for them to be adding consumption, you know, adding a consumption tax and increasing it. I mean, Japan's got a gross debt nearing 240%, but borrowing still remains cheap, right? And I mean, inflation is at 0.8%. So it's still well off of the Bank of Japan's uh, 2% target rate. So timing, needless to say, was 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 strange. Um, I mean, Japan did this in 2014. Similar thing happened. Uh, this time, they tried to offset the effects by, you know, sparing food, newspapers, and uh, drinks, excluding alcohol from these higher taxes. It helped a little bit. I mean, consumer spending fell less last quarter than it did in 2014, but uh, still an odd time to be, you know, doing such an initiative. 
the, the first time was a kind of a swing and a miss, and it really doesn't make sense why they would do it again at the end of last year as we think about what the tax would do as increasing or, or just hurting retail sales overall and then squeezing an economy that was already being hurt by the global slowdown w- w- with the trade. Uh, overall, we're continuing to see uh, that weak growth and low interest rates. It, it may be a look into the future for the rest of the world as we see low interest rates in Europe as well as the United States. Uh, so it will be interesting to see and, and use Japan as a, as a case. But it comes back to that they can't really get the, get the growth that they want, and they continue to have an increasing debt and, uh, and a decreasing population. So immigration may be a key thing to, for them to look at. But overall, I, I, be, I know they're gearing up for a stimulus package here. Uh, so we'll see, we'll see if that's able to, to help with the deflation here. Yeah, the stimulus package is going to be worth about $120 billion dollars. Uh, a lot of it's going to repair their typhoon damage. So, I mean, Japan's kind of been hit on all fronts, you know, both natural and um, just normal economic slowdown. Uh, but, yeah, like as you alluded to, demographics in Japan are, you know, really going to be the big issue that affects the world's third largest economy. I mean, when we're looking over the past 20 years, Japan's working age population declined by more than 10 million workers um, or about 14 percent. And it's, you know, it's projected to fall even more over the next 20 years. So as countries like the United States and Germany and Britain, and as, as they're getting older, um, you know, they're not, birth rates aren't replacing it. Uh, immigration in the United States is down, so we're not replacing that. Um, we really have to, you know, look at Japan as a case study on what will happen with slower growth and, and how to best um, respond to those, to those issues. And, and one stimulus that may happen would be the Tokyo Olympics. And with the coronavirus, that may be impacted as well. So it, it could also have a big drag on the economy moving forward. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, I mean, obviously, right uh, with the origin in Asia, I mean, and with corona uh, growing as fast as it is, that's going to be another issue in their economic development as it is around the world. Definitely. Uh, with that, let's kind of finish uh, as is tradition on what we're looking at on this coming week. Uh, Grant, how about you get us started. Well, I'm looking at to see how these uh, digital taxes that the uh, G20 summit warned over the weekend, uh, it looks like it's going to be a a big fight between America and Europe on how to tax internet companies, uh, which would really upend global relations. We saw that, uh, you know, France and Britain want to be able to tax the services of digital companies, even if there's not a physical presence within the country's borders. Whereas uh, the United States think that this is really discriminatory and threatens an uh, economic war. So I think that we may be in store for if, if these taxes go into effect, we, we could see ourselves at another trade war with, with Europe uh, moving forward on, on how these large Internet giants are taxed. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be, you know, obviously we're going to have to look at how different countries contain the coronavirus. Um, Italy and, and, and Iran are going to be big examples as – uh, this week, they definitely had an influx in cases um, and, and fatalities. Uh, kind of in the United States political realm, you know, we have the debate, um, but also we have the South Carolina primary. Uh, if Bernie ekes out Biden, um, I mean, then and they're close. I think it's going to be more of a secure deal on, you know, who the front runner is. And I imagine there's going to be a bunch of dropouts. If, if Biden does well, then I think we'll, you know, we'll continue it into Super Tuesday. But uh, there's a potential of more or less clinching the nomination, which, you know, would, would result in a uh, President Trump and a 
a Bernie Sanders, which are, you know, they're two very contentious, you know, figures. Uh, and that, that will be adding to some more political wildness uh, coming in this year. Right. I also think where we are today with a lot of the moderate candidates, there's so many that they're really scattering the vote, especially now with Mike Bloomberg. So I, that may be why we're, we're seeing such a Bernie rise. It may be too little too late for, for one of them to come out and really contest Bernie. Uh, Super Tuesday will be big. Also, I, I think, as you mentioned, the, the coronavirus, just to go back for a second, if we, uh, if we continue to see and it moves over to the Americas, I, I think we'll beginning to continue to see a slide in the in the S&P 500 and and uh, maybe even the 10-year treasury will continue to decrease to to record lows so be on lookout for that with that you know uh please like and subscribe if you haven't already and um we'll talk to you next week we're out the information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of wealthless The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WealthFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WealthFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked in any of the content. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.